If you have your Bibles, guys, let's go back to the book of Philippians. As you know, we've been studying from this book and pulling out some spiritual truths that will help transform our lives. Philippians chapter number 4, and we're going to begin our reading at verse number 10. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 10. And while we're on there, I'll just, uh, you know, we've been dealing with the subject, chill out. Uh, and we're going to see this verse here that, that helps us to understand uh, what Paul is talking about because we're talking about mindsets, changing our mindset. This book of Philippians dealt with in the first chapter, we talked about uh, the single mind and how that mind uh, focuses us in and gives us joy even in the midst of suffering, the single mind. And then in the second chapter, we dealt with the submissive mind, which get, talks about giving us uh, the ability to have joy in the midst of our serving. Uh, and then the third chapter, we dealt with the spiritual mind, and the spiritual mind dealt with producing joy in the, in the midst of our believing God. And then in this fourth chapter, we talked about the secure mind, which is produces joy as we give and as we uh, give of ourselves to the Lord in his ministry. And so we get down to this 10th verse. The text says this in Philippians chapter 4, verse number 10, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Next verse says, it's not that I was in every need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. Let's stop right there. I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. Let's look at that from the King James Version of the Scripture. I like the way it reads, and from the KJV. It says this, not that I speak in respect to want. Paul says this, for I have learned in whatsoever state I'm in, therewith to be content. To content. Content doesn't mean that you're just satisfied, but it means that you are resting in Jesus no matter what's going on around you. You're resting in Jesus no matter what the situation is. You're learning how to chill out no matter what's going on around you. Learn how to chill out. I was telling Maria about something the other day. I was jogging through this, the mean streets of Benton. I say that facetiously. But I was getting my exercise in, and I saw this uh, lady who uh, I've passed by before, or she's passed by me in her car uh, while I was jogging before, and she said some stuff that I just didn't make really sense to her. But she's about 85 years old. And talking about chilling out now, you got to learn how to chill out no matter what you face. So I, I saw this lady, and to be honest, because she said some stuff that was, you know, just kind of out there a little bit, I kind of jogged a little bit fast because I would go by her. She was walking this time. But she's about 85 years old, guys. And this lady told me when I said, she said, hey, slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down. And I slowed down. And she says, uh, let me buy them pretty bow legs you got. And when I walk across that stage, I'm going to tell everybody that, where I got those pretty bow legs from. I told her, I said, Mary, I think this 85-year-old lady was trying to come on to me. You better up your game. So I had, to, I had to chill out and say, yes, ma'am. I will make sure that I that, that, that I, you can have these bow legs. And I, I Maria ten like I went home and tried to, well, I, I started uh, pigeon toeing my feet in so I could look like I was bow legged. I'm not bow legged. But they, you know, it kind of shocked me. But she, she, I think she was trying to come on to me. So guys, if a woman tries to come on, you better try to chill out, especially she's 85 years old. Amen? So Paul here. Paul says in this text, whatever state that I'm in, I've learned how to be content. I've learned how to rest in Jesus. I've learned how not to wig out. 
I've learned. Now, he said he learned that, which means it is a process. And I shared with you on last week that one of the things that God does, God uses a process to change us. Many of you all that follow college football know that Nick Saban is the coach of the Alabama Crystal Tide. They've been very successful since his time being the head coach there. And you hear them oftentimes talk about the process, the process, the process. How do you take a kid who was uh, probably a four-star, five-star athlete at his high school, was big man on campus, got all the carries, uh, got all the headlines, take that guy, bring him into a program where you got other four- and five-star athletes who've been there two or three years ahead of him, and get that guy to commit to the process of sitting on the bench, running the scout team until your time comes on, comes along for you to get into the game and be able to get your name in the paper. It's a process, and it involves changing your mindset. Because if your mindset doesn't change, if you're used to being in charge, if you're used to being the big man on campus, you won't fare very well when you go to a place where it requires you to sit, where it requires you to wait, where it requires you to maybe be third team or fourth team or run the scout team. You won't do very well if you don't change your mindset. So God changes, God uses a process to change us. God wants us to change. First of all, number one, realize that God wants us to change. Every last one of us, as long as we have breath in our body, there should be a transformation process taking place in our life. Amen. You, you never get too old to change. And I, I, I'm here to tell you that that's critically important because many times churches get stagnated where they are. Churches get used to doing things the way they've always done things, and even to the point where churches will sit there and keep doing things the way they've always done things and watch the church die out rather than change. So God wants us to change. Change is a necessary part of a growing life, and we need change in order to keep progressing. Can I get a witness? We need change in order to keep progressing. Any lasting change must begin on the inside, and that's where God works best. He's an inside-out God. He changes us from the inside out. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So we left off on last week talking about the four-step process to change. And go, if you will, go back with me to Genesis, the 32nd chapter. Genesis, chapter number 32. And we're going to look at, again, verse number 24 here. In this, here in this text, we see the story of Jacob. And I told you on last week that Jacob, you know, in the Bible, names meant something. And Jacob's name means cheater or trickster, okay? And so, uh, or schemer in the Hebrew, that's what his name meant. And so, we begin looking at the, in the story of Jacob, we can see the process God uses in helping us become the kind of person he wants us to be. The situation recorded in Genesis 32 was a turning point for Jacob and it actually serves as a dramatic example of how God can change us. There are many things that we do in our lives, guys, that really uh, need transformation. And God does not want us to remain the same as a church body and as individual Christians. He desires to see transformation because he wants us to be transformed into the image of his dear son, Jesus Christ. And so as long as we're in this flesh, we should be coming and start looking more and more like Christ the longer that we are saved. Can I get a witness? So Genesis 32, 
Uh, if you will look down here, this is an example. Jacob, again, Jacob's name means cheater or schemer in Hebrew. Uh, and so, but, but a life-changing experience, guys, transformed him into a new person. And he became Israel, the man after whom the entire nation of Israel was later named. And after that experience, we see here Jacob was never the same again. So let me tell you something right now. I don't care where you are, where you've been, and how many, how many bad choices and bad decisions that you made. It's never too late for you to allow God to transform your life. It is never too late for you to allow God to do his perfecting work in you. So, again, some important insights in this incident is going to show clearly the four steps that are required for transformation in our lives. So Genesis chapter 32, look at verse number 24 with the right quick. 32nd chapter, verse number 24, we're going to move on down through it. The text says, this left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. Now, again, you look at it. Let's go to the King James Version of Scripture in this right quick because oftentimes angels would manifest in the earth as men. Angels would, 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 uh, would manifest as men. Because remember, the, the Bible says, be careful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. In other words, angels will, will, will manifest themselves in the form of men, and many times they're moving here in the earth realm, and here we have a situation where Jacob wrestled with this angel. The text says that Jacob was left, left, was left alone, and there wrestled with a man with him until the breaking of day. Next verse says what? And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. The text says this, and he said, let me go for the day break it. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. The text says, and he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and has prevailed and has prevailed. So let's, let's go into these four steps that we've been talking about because God uses the four-step process to change us, to transform us. Make no mistake about it. God does not want us to remain the same. We should be ever-changing. Anytime a ministry, anytime a company refuses to change, then they'll be out of, they'll be out of, out of business real quickly. Maria and I were going, uh, we went by um, uh, Chick-fil-A the other day and, and got some vittles. All right, y'all know what vittles are, right? We went by Chick-fil-A and got some villa, and, and we were sitting there, uh, and, and we were observing what was happening uh, in Chick-fil-A's process and how they had to transform their drive-through line, line because right now they're not allowing people to come inside to get their food, and so they have uh, they have two lanes of traffic, and then they have a third lane now that if, if you uh, order your stuff online, you go to that third line and just come through and get that and move on out. And so what we were observing is that many times when, when situations like this happen with this global pandemic, some people sit there and they stew and they, and they pout and they say, I want things to be like it used to be. I want things to be like it used to be. I can't wait till we get back to where we used to be. I can't wait to go back to what is normal. Where there are companies and there are churches and there are ministries who are saying, you know what, 
things have changed, and let's not sit here and sulk and whine about why it's not the way it used to be. Let's, let's, let's press into God. Let's figure out how we can transform the way we're doing things so that we can meet the needs of people, even during the midst of this pandemic situation that we find ourselves in. And I pro- I'm here to tell you, there are, there are restaurants, there are companies that won't make it out of this pandemic because some, for whatever reason, could not make the pivot and transform the way they were doing business in order to stay in business, in order to produce revenue so that company can prosper in the midst of this pandemic. Don't find yourself in a situation where you're sitting there saying, I'm going to remain the way I am. I don't care what's happening around me because God wants to transform us. He wants us to change. So the first step we said was, first step that God uses to get our attention is crisis. Everybody say crisis. The lesson we see in this is that when God wants to change us, he starts by getting our attention, by putting us in a frustrated situation that is completely beyond our control. The, the text said here that Jacob was alone. And sometimes in order for God to deal with us, in order for him to transform us, he has to get us away from certain people. He has to get us away from certain environments. Jacob was all alone when this happened. He, he had sent his family away because if you read the rest of this section, we don't have time to go into it right now, but he was preparing to go back to meet his brother Esau, and Esau wanted to kill him. Now, that's bad. You know, listen, they had some dysfunctionality in their family. If you know the story, how it was that he, he stole his brother's birthright, and then he ended up amen, tricking his father and getting him to bless him rather than Esau. Y'all know the story, how he, his, his mother was in on it, and it's bad when you got fun- family dysfunctionality. And here we got a brother who's been looking all these years to kill his, uh, his, his brother. Esau was still mad at Jacob and wanted to take him out. So he had to deal with all of that. So God is, amen, is dealing with Jacob because he wants to change him. So the first step is crisis. God uses experiences and problems and crisis to get our attention because a lot of Christians don't pay attention to God. A lot of Christians come to church and we do church but we're really not listening to God, who's the one we're supposed to be serving and ministering and, 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 and praising when we come to church. We just get used to coming to church. And God says, that's not enough. In these last and evil days that we're living in, God says, I need transformation from my people. Jacob was a committed person. We're going to see it because he would not let go. Let's go back real quick to that, to that text and look at it one more time. Back to Genesis, the 32nd chapter. He was persistent, amen? And guys, I told you before, we tend not to change until we get fed up, until we get tired of where we are. So when the angel asks to be let go, Jacob says, I will not let you go until you bless me. So Jacob was committed. He was persistent. He stayed with the situation until it worked out. He was in a situation that he didn't like, amen? It was frustrating. It was getting him down. But he was 100% committed to staying with the situation until God turned it around for good. Now, I made an observation, guys, and listen to me very carefully. I made an observation. I've noticed that many in this younger generation, let's say the 18 to 35-year-olds, don't seem to know how to persevere. Don't seem to know how to wait on the Lord and be of good courage. Don't seem to know how to push through to completion. There, there's, there's some older saints who can tell you, hey, I've learned over the years how to 
push through. Everybody say push through. And see, when it don't come right now, this 1835-year-old generation is quick to just run and go the other way. But God says there are going to be some times when you have to learn how to push through. You're going to have to learn how to persevere. You're going to have to learn how to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. But that won't happen when you run, when you run, when you, when, when you, when you tuck tail and get out of the way. Sometimes God has you right where he has you because he's trying to transform you. Now, here's a lesson from, we learned from this. I told you last week. After God gets our attention with a problem, he usually doesn't solve it immediately. He waits a little while to see whether or not we really mean business or not. Now, this bothers a lot of us because we're so used to getting everything instantly. We want it right now, instant, 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 instant microwave popcorn. We want, we want food instantly. We, if, if it takes too long through the drive-through, we'll, we'll, even though we've already paid, we'll blow our horn and drive on off. Listen, is that right? Marrera and I had a bait, debate just on, on, on yesterday, uh, and we, we pulled into Popeyes. Any of y'all been to Popeyes before? We pulled into Popeyes, and the line looked like it wasn't too long when we first pulled over there, but when we, when we, find, we pulled up in there, it looked like the line got stuck. And then people started lining up behind us all the way out on airline drive on the highway, and after about two or three minutes, Marrera and I said, this don't make no sense. So what do we do? Did just like you would do. We hadn't paid, thank God, because we hadn't got around to the window. So we got out of line and drove off and went someplace else because it was taking too long. And we've had experience with them before, taking too long. And so, so, so we, we tend to not be very patient sometimes, and, and all of us can get that way. So we want instant access, instant success, instant promotion, instant food, etc. Most people miss God's best for their lives because they give up too soon. Your breakthrough is right around the corner, and you give up, amen, three-fourths of the way through the journey. Amen? We become discouraged. I like what Galatians 6 and 9 says. It says, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not, if we don't give up, if we don't lose heart. So the first step in God transforming us a lot of times is because we, we become stubborn, we become stuck in our ways, so in order for God to get our attention, boom, let's be honest about it, because most of us won't move unless we're forced to move. I'm going to say it again. Most of us won't move until we're forced to move. I, 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 I'm guilty, I'm guilty. Uh, the Lord has been talking to us about doing live stream. Uh, for a long period of time, two or three years, I told you when we first started this process, and and I just kind of, you know, I, I kind of shrugged it off. Not, didn't, you know, okay, eh, that's that's good, but you know, we don't, we don't, my, my my take was we we want to encourage people not to come to church. But see, what I didn't realize is that 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 by making the message more widely available, it can reach people who can't come to church. It can reach those folks who are sick and shut in who would love to be there but can't make it because of illness in their family. And rather than looking at it as an opportunity for people to stay home and not come to church, we should have been looking at it as an opportunity to expand our reach. So God God said, okay, okay churches, y'all, y'all sitting there in your own little comfort zone, and, and, and you, you come in that church building every week, and, and, you, and you're worshiping, and you're praising God, but I got to get y'all out of there. This is what I believe God is using this for, to get us out of the church, 
the church building and let the church be out in the community, let the church be out in, in social media space representing him well. Because how many of y'all would agree that in the social media world, we need some, some good representation? The tool that's been made available via technology needs to be utilized to advance some kingdom principles. So just because folks using it for bad don't mean we can't use it for good. How, how many of y'all, most of y'all probably don't remember this, but I, I've read, and I don't remember when it, television was first invented, people started first getting TVs, but when TVs first came on the scene, there were many churches who thought it was a sin to watch that, the devil's box, is what they called it. Not realizing they could use the television screen to reach a broader array of people with the gospel message. So guys, we're going to utilize this tool, and so we were sort of forced into it, but guess what? It's a tool that we got in our toolbox now. So we're going to take that tool out and utilize it to advance kingdom principles. That's what, that's what we've been called to do. So the first step is to Christ. God calls, God allowed a crisis to take place in order to get us to the point where we're streaming live over the Internet, something that we probably should have been doing all along, a way to reach people where they are. The, the second step that we, we talked about was what? Commitment. We've got to have some commitment. Everybody say commitment. Commitment is vital and important, guys, for us to get there. Uh, we got to have some commitment. Commitment is, is, is real important because if we don't understand commitment, we'll never get to the point. Jacob never get to the point where God can bless us like he wants to bless us. Commitment is what, amen, what Jacob had because Jacob said, Jacob said I'm not going to let go until you bless me. I'm not going to let go until you, amen, uh, uh, bless me because I am determined to transform. His name meant trickster. His name meant uh, uh a person who was a, a, a schemer, but now he is being transformed. The third thing that we got, the third step we got to look at, look at verse number 37 of this 20, of this 32nd chapter. The third step is confession. Because in this, as Jacob wrestled with this angel all night long, uh, the angel asked Jacob, what is your name? And he answered, Jacob. What was the purpose of the angel's question? It was to get Jacob to acknowledge his character by stating his name. I told you on last week, names mean something in the Hebrew. We don't necessarily look at it that way in our culture, but it meant something. His name meant trickster and schemer. And so when he, he asked him what was his name, it was to get Jacob to acknowledge his character by stating his name, which meant cheater or schemer. Jacob remembered the heartache he had caused by his scheming against his brother Esau. And so when the angel asked, what are you really like? What's your character? Jacob's reply was, I'm a cheater and I'm a schemer. Because he, he told him what his name was. Now, guys, listen to me right quick. I don't believe, and you can check me out, until we come to ourselves and, and be honest with ourselves where we are, we don't tend to transform. There are a lot of folks who are saying that they are one thing, but they're actually something else. And until you can be honest with God and say, I lied. Until you can be honest with God and say uh, that, that, that I'm, I'm uh, oh, I'm, uh, 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 I'm an adulterer. Not just I messed up. No, I cheated on my wife. I cheated on my husband. I, I had sex with another woman or with another man who was not my wife or my husband. I, I transgressed the laws of God. You got to say it like that. Until you say it like that, listen, you're not really being honest with what you've done and who you are. Because when you tell a lie, that means you lie, you're a liar. That don't sound good, does it? It, it sounds better to say, well, you know, 
I, I, I kind of stretched the truth a little bit. How many of y'all know stretching the truth a little bit is lying? But saying I'm a liar doesn't sound very good, does it? I know it doesn't. So whatever you are, come to grips with whatever you are and say it to yourself. Say it out loud. I know I'm a child of God, but I messed up. I did this. Here's what I did. Don't try to sugarcoat it. I need you to pray for me because I, I, I cheated on the books. I need you to pray for me because I took some paper towels from work that belonged to the company. Hello? I took some paper towels from work because I couldn't get them at Walmart. I took them from work, came home. I stole. I was a thief. Doesn't sound good. Well, I just borrowed a little bit. I, I, you know, you know it, the, the, the business got plenty of paper towel. They got, they got a supplier that gets them to them. So it, it didn't hurt anybody. Yes, it did. And until you recognize that you were a thief and that's the way you stole, you won't really experience transformation. God just wants us to come to ourselves. And that's what Jacob does here when asked what his name is. He comes to himself. He, said, he says, I'm a cheater. I'm a schemer. Jacob admitted his weakness because even though he was a cheater and a schemer, he was also honest with himself. And guys, in the body of Christ, if I can't, if, I, if you don't hear nothing else I say today, hear this. We got to be honest with ourselves. We got to be honest with ourselves. We can't just pretend like we are at a place in God where we're not. And when we're honest with ourselves, when we come to ourselves like the prodigal son did, then we can get restoration. We got, to, we got to come to ourselves, y'all. Amen. When he had, when Jacob identified himself as a schemer, as a cheater, he was admitting his character flaws. And again, until you are honest with yourself, until I'm honest with myself, where I really am, where you really are, we really can't get deliverance. This is an important part of God's process for changing us because we never change until we honestly face and admit our faults, our sins, our weaknesses, and our mistakes. And most of us don't like to do that because we're afraid of what others are going to think when we're honest. When we say, when we, when we get up and give a testimony and say, you know what, I was, I was uh, to be honest, I, I've been missing action from my local church center because, I, I, to be honest, I, I had ought with one of my fellow brothers and sisters and I failed to do what you told us to do, Pastor. Based on what Matthew 18 said, go to him one-on-one. I didn't do that. I stayed by myself. I, I just said, I ain't going to bother nobody. I mean, I'm just going I mean, to let it out. I ain't going to create no, no division. I'm just going to not come. I'm just going to stay away. Well, listen, here's what you're doing. You're, you're, you're not allowing the church to be the church because and, and be as powerful as it could be because you have gifting that the church needs. The Bible says that he's given us spiritual gifts, and those spiritual gifts were given to build up the body of Christ. You got a gift that we need, but you're, you're not utilizing that gifting because you have been offended. And you're not honest enough to say that I've been offended. Until we can be honest, we can't get to where God wants us to be. But so God, 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 God will use the third step of confession. In other words, He will have us say what we really are. Amen. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to make excuses for our problems? You ever notice that we become experts at blaming other people for our situation? Right. We, be, we become expert at blaming other people for our situation. Guys, let me tell you something. All of us face tragedy. All of us face uh, uh, less than ideal situation. But here's what I've learned. I don't, care, I don't care who it is. You have the power 
on the inside of you to overcome any obstacle that's placed in front of you. I don't care if it's racism. I don't care if it's uh, 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 sexism, whatever it is. Uh, you have the power and authority inside of you to overcome whatever it is that's in front of you. Here's what I've learned to do. Now, I don't know about anybody else, but here's, here's, here's what works for Doyle Adams. And I'm going to say this. I'm gonna, I want you all to hear me very carefully because some people will get offended and think that I'm living in an in a, in a unrealistic world, but I'm not. Here's what I've learned to do. I've learned to walk by faith and not by sight. Every step along the way in my life, I cannot think of one opportunity where I failed to accomplish what I set to accomplish because somebody wouldn't let me do it. I want to repeat that. Every opportunity from, from uh, my time in uh, high school, from my time in playing ball at Louisiana Tech to, to my 17 years in banking, I, I, I can't recall a time where I was not able to accomplish what I set my hand to accomplish as I sought God, a man's will, in the situation. In other words, I learned how to operate by faith and not what I see. Now, does that mean that obstacles are, are not out there? Of course it does not. There's always obstacles out there. Does somebody may not want me to do something because of the color of my skin? Of course there is. And we got to acknowledge that. Even in this country, one of the reasons why racism persists in this country is because people are not honest about where they really are on it. And it's got to start with the church. We got to be honest and say that some of us, amen, feel a certain sort of way about people who don't look like us. Here's, I say this all the time, this is the litmus test that I give the people, black and white. Here's the litmus test I give to, to people, Christians. I, the world, I, I'm, not, I'm not studying the world. I'm studying them. Y'all know what studying means, right? That's an old colloquial term that we utilize. I'm not, I'm not focusing on the world because the world is sinful. The world does what the world does. It operates in sin. But I'm talking about the church. Judgment has to start at the house of Israel. It has to start at the church of God, amen, before it can transfer out into the world. If the church don't get it right, the world won't get it right. And here's the litmus test that I utilize to say, check yourself and see where your heart is. If my son, Doyle Adams Jr., comes home with your daughter, Becky, and says, we want to get married. Daughter, I'm June's African-American. Becky's Caucasian. And, and he comes to your house and comes to my house. What rises up on the inside of you? Uh-oh, pastor, you went there. Oh, pastor, no, you didn't. What rises up on the inside of you when that happened? Because you've been telling me all along, I don't see, I don't see color. Well, actually, you do. Actually, you do see, you see color because you can't help but to see. But my question is, how are you viewing people that you see? And the litmus test is, if my son wants to marry your daughter, your daughter wants to marry my son, your son wants to marry my daughter, then what arises up on the inside? What, do you begin, what excuse do you begin to make for why that shouldn't happen? Now we're going to see if you really see color. Because if you don't see color, it should not matter. The only thing that should matter is, is that person born again? 
Do they have a relationship with Jesus? And y'all, don't, don't dare cut this off. I want this to go out. Here's how you're going to know if you really, amen, are doing it the way Jesus told us to do it. Because so many times we, we, we need transformation in the areas that we're not really honest about what we really are. If you're going to get changed, you got to be honest. And this country that we live in has to be, get, has to, has to be, has to be honest. Listen, I, I'm going to tell you, until the church gets it right, the nation won't get it right. Judgment's got to start in the house of God first. Amen? So, uh, the people who I pastor at EBC know, and I'm, I, I know I have some people who I pastor who don't agree with that, but I ain't actually agree with it. What does the word say? The Bible says, in Christ Jesus, there's neither male nor female, bond nor Greek, Jew nor Greek. I, I, I messed it up there. Jew or Greek, male or female, bond or free, for we all are one in Christ Jesus. As a matter of fact, Paul says we, we, we no longer view Jesus after the flesh. For us, Jesus is not a Jewish carpenter. He's the Savior who died on the cross for our sin. Doesn't matter whether he was Jewish. He's the Savior who was born in a manger in Bethlehem, died on Golgotha's hill. Come on. It's now seated on the right hand of the Father, making intercessions for us. So, so until we come to grips with where we really are, until we're honest about what we're really feeling and where we are, we can't experience true transformation. We'll just be, you know, we'll be, we'll be going along, but we'll be limping along. God will not go to work on our problem until we first admit that we have a problem. Until you admit you got a problem with alcohol, until you admit you got a problem with drugs, until you admit you got a problem with illicit sexual activity, until you admit you got a problem with cussing, until you admit where you are, God can't work on you because you are still in denial. Can I get a witness? And it's easy to make excuses. Okay, so the fourth step, the fourth step. So we got confession, now we got fourth step is cooperation. God began changing Jacob as soon as he admitted who he was and began to cooperate with God's plan. Amen? Jacob called the place where he wrestled with the angel Peniel, meaning the face of God, the face of God. Jacob had come face to face with God. Every one of us must eventually come face to face with God, and when we do that, God can change us. God didn't say, Jacob, try really hard and use all your willpower to become mature, become perfect. That doesn't work, and God knows it. Willpower simply does not make permanent changes in our life. How many of y'all have tried willpower before when it comes to eating? How many of y'all have tried willpower before when it came to uh, breaking off a relationship? And you kept going back because you kept remembering. You kept remembering. And you said to yourself, I ain't going to go back over there no more. I'm going to stay at my own place. He's going to stay at his own place. Then he calls you, hey, girl. I just want you to know I'm just thinking about you. In my mind, they focus on you all day long. I couldn't hardly get any work done. And, you know, I know we've been having our problems and everything, but you know what? I just, I just, I just, can we just talk for, can I just come over there and just talk for about, just, just give me about 10 minutes. This, I just, just, just want to, I, 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 don't, I don't want anything. I just, I just want to talk for you about 10 minutes. 
How many of y'all have fallen for that lie before? <laughs> Hello? Just, 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 just 10 minutes. Just 10 minutes. I'm going to just go just 10 minutes. 10 minutes. 10 minutes. Well, I guess, yeah, you come on, just 10 minutes, though. You got to sit on the couch. You ain't, you ain't going to afford the couch. Well, all it takes is the couch, baby. <laughs> Hello? And the next thing you know, the thing that you will to not do, Paul says you find yourself doing it. The things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And the things that I should do, I find myself not doing. Paul says, who's going to deliver me from this dichotomy that I find myself in? It's Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, it's not willpower that we should expect to be changed. It's the power of the Holy Ghost operating on the inside of us that produces the transformation that God wants to take place in our life. We've got to work with God, not against him. Amen? So, so, so we, many times we, we attack the outward circumstances. But there's, it's, it's the internal motivation that makes the permanent change, and that's what God works on, amen, amen. That's what he works on. And when Jacob began to cooperate, God started working, and the first thing he did was give Jacob a new name and a new identity. See, let me tell you, some, some of y'all listening to me right now, you can't afford to go and hang in the place you used to hang in because it's going to trip you up. You can't afford to view certain things that you used to view. It's going to trip you up. you got to you got to get into a new place. Get into a new place. Get into a new place. Get, get some some friends you can't still hang out with because they keep dragging you back into the stuff that you need to come out of. You love them, and and, and get strong enough in your in your faith and then go back. But some places you got to come out because if you keep going there, you'll keep falling. Jesus is there to help us. When Jacob began to cooperate, we began to see change. God changed Jacob from a cheater and a schemer to, to his name was Israel, a prince of God. You see, God know, knew Jacob's potential, and he saw through Jacob's exterior of trying to be a worldly tough guy. God saw all of Jacob's weaknesses, but he also saw beneath the surface. And that's what he does with us. He sees our weaknesses, but he sees beneath the surface. He looks at our heart. Can I get a witness? Look at verse 31 of Genesis 30, uh, chapter 32, and we're going we're gonna to move on here because i got to close out. This, this, this is significant because, again, the thigh muscle is one of the most powerful muscles in the human body. Look what it says. And as he passed over Peniel, the sun rose up upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. In other words, remember the angel hit, 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 him, hit, hit that thigh muscle, knocked his hip out of joint, but Jacob, uh, Jacob wouldn't turn loose. Right? He would not turn a loose. He was committed. But that limp sort of reminded him of what it means to be committed and to stay with God. This is significant because, again, the thigh muscle is one of the most powerful muscles in the human body. When God had to get Jacob's attention, he touched him at his point of strength. And many times God will touch us at our point of strength. The point where we, the, the place where we think we got it together, the point, the place where we think we are secure. We got enough money. We got, we got this. We got this job. We got this family. And God, if he has to, will touch us in those places to get us where we need to be. When we start thinking this is what, I, what I, I'm really good at, this is what I'm really strong at, God may have to touch that very thing to get our attention. So God touched Jacob's thigh, and it became a reminder to Jacob, for the rest of his life, that he was no longer to trust in his own power, but in the power of God. He was limping around. Every time he limped, he thought about the fact that 
that the angel touched in them. You got to depend on God. And he, you know, the other thing about Jacob, Jacob was a Jacob was a fleer. He ran away from stuff, and so now you got you got that hip. You can't run now. Come on, he can't run like he used to now. So you got to rely on God. You can't flee. And so God is now telling us, "Don't run. Trust me." So let's go back to Philippians four. So, so if Paul got to the point, Paul learned how to chill out. What's it going to take for us to get to the point to where we can be like the Apostle Paul when he says, in whatever state I'm in, therewith I've learned how to be content. I've learned how to rest in Jesus. I've learned how to chill out. I've learned how to, I've learned how to, 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 to cool, to cool it, to rest in Jesus. Learning how to chill out. Again, know, know what he says here. Again, notice what he says from the New Living Translation, verse number 12 of Philippians chapter number 4. After having said I've learned, look at the text. It says, well, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. How many of y'all know how to make it when you ain't got a whole lot? How many of y'all out there know how to make a dollar stretch? How many of you know how to get by if, if your income reduces? There are some people who can't, who can't take it, and they just wig out. Paul is saying here, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. That's, that's important. Now, watch this, guys. Let, let me give you an illustration of this. Because, see, what God is wanting us to do, he wants us to become like Paul, where in whatever state we find ourselves in, that we, we, we learn how to chill out. We learn how to be content. We, we, God wants us to be the one who changes the environment and not let the environment change us. Let's, a thermostat, think about this for a second. Let me use an example. And you may have heard this before, a thermostat versus a thermometer. What is the difference between a, thermos, a thermometer and a thermostat? Well, what's the difference? And if, let's find out which one of you. What's the difference? Well, a thermometer doesn't change anything around you. It doesn't change anything around it. It just registers the temperature, Right? Before we came in uh, on, on these Sundays here uh, for our live stream, we checked everybody's temperature with their thermometer, the kind that you just point at your forehead. Don't matter sticking in your mouth anymore, just point at your forehead, and it gives us a temperature reading. Amen? It registers the temperature. It's always going up and down, up and down. But a thermostat regulates the surroundings and changes them when they need to be changed. So if I go to my, just the other day, I thank God for uh, Brother Mike Miles who came by and took care of our air conditioning problem because we got up and and, and I, we noticed we had dialed the thermostat down to 75, but it was reading 81, which means something was malfunctioning because the thermostat is designed to change the temperature in the room. And I believe that as a born-again believer, we've been designed to change the temperature in the room. When we come in there, it ought to, it, it ought to, it ought to be smooth. It, all of the tension and the turmoil ought to leave when that Christian steps into that, into that space. So a thermostat changes the surrounding. A, therm, a thermometer only reads what's the surrounding. It has no effect on the circumstance. Amen? So which one are you? Are you the person who changes the surroundings when they need to be changed, or are you the person who's going up and down? 
hot and cold. This depends on what's happening around you. It's going to depend on how you are. I submit to you that all of us who are born-again believers need to be thermostats who are not raising the temperature in the room when it gets too hot, but we set the temperature to where it comes down to where we desire for it to be. Which one are you? Are you a thermostat or are you a thermometer? Look at the person sitting next to you and say, are you a th- thermometer or a thermostat? Look at them. If you've, been a, if you've been a thermometer, we got to change and become that thermostat. Amen? The Apostle Paul was a thermostat, y'all. Instead of having spiritual ups and downs as the situation changed, he went right on steadily doing his work and serving Christ. I like what he says in 1 Corinthians 15 and 58 from the King James Version of the Scripture. 1 Corinthians 15 and 58 says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Glory to God. Now, look at Philippians. Go back to Philippians 4 and verse number 11 right quick. I, I, I got I to get this, get, get this in and get them out of here. The verb learn. The verb learn. The verb learn means learn by experience. Paul's spiritual contentment his spiritual chilling out was not something he had immediately. He didn't, he didn't just grasp that immediately after first becoming saved. He had to go through a lot of difficult experiences in life in order to learn how to be content, in order to learn how to chill out. Again, the word content literally means, actually means contained. It's a description of the man whose resources are within him so that he does not have to depend on substitutes on the outside. What's on the inside of you? In the closing verses of this fourth chapter, the Apostle Paul shares three spiritual resources that can enable the believer, you and I, to chill out, to be content. Three resources that enable us as born-again believers to chill out. Number one is, is, is the overruling providence of God. The providence of God helps us to chill out. Amen? The Word of God clearly teaches that the providential workers of God in nature and in the lives of his people is ever-present. Amen? The word providence means, it comes from the Latin word pro, meaning before, and video means to see. Amen? God's providence simply means that God sees it beforehand. Thank God that I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. And the one who holds tomorrow just so happens to hold my hand. So even though I don't know what's happening tomorrow, God does. Even though I don't know what the future holds, God does. And he's holding my hand, I'm holding his hand. I am not going to let go. Can I get a witness? So the providence of God gives me comfort in knowing that whatever's around the corner, God's got my back. He knows what's going to go happen. He knows beforehand. Amen. And y'all saw that in, in, in the book of uh, Genesis with Joseph when his brothers and then got jealous of him and sold him into slavery. And he went through a process and an ordeal in Potiphar's house and thrown in jail. And ultimately he ended up being second in charge of all of Egypt. And then when his brothers had to come to Egypt to get food in order to survive, when Joseph finally revealed himself to them, they were afraid that Joseph was going to take revenge. But you know what? Guess what Joseph said? God, Joseph said this, God, listen, but as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it for my good. 
See, God took him through that process to enable him to be in charge to protect the seed that was coming through Israel. Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, had those 12 sons who represented the 12 tribes of Israel. In order to protect the seed, God sent his man there. He allowed his man, Joseph, to be sold into slavery so he could be in charge when they came to get food. And he took care of God's people. So, so the providence of God gives us the, 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 the ability to chill out and not worry about it because God's got your back. Say, God's got my back. I want y'all to repeat that. We say, God got my back. This is the providence of God, his hand ruling and overruling in the affairs of life. Paul experienced this divine providence in his life and in his ministry, and he was able to write this. He says, and we know that all things work together for the good to them who love the Lord, to those who are the call according to his purpose. So what does that mean? I know that whatever's happening in my life, God knows that was going to happen before it ever happened. Every tragedy. Every, every good thing that happened, every situation that occurred, God knew it was going to take place. That loved one passing on, God knew that was going to take place. But he's got your back. Don't you turn loose his hand. He knows what's around the corner. That thing, that situation, that person who meant it for bad, God will work it out for your good. The providence of God. That's the first thing that helps me to chill out because I know God's in control. I know he's got all authority in heaven and earth in his hand, and I am not going to turn it loose. Because, guys, if we're really honest about it, what we need to realize is that, is that life is not a series of accidents. Come on, y'all. It's not a series of accidents. It's not a series of appointments. Amen? It is a series of appointments. There are things that are appointed to take place in our life. I don't believe that stuff happens in our life by accident. I believe God... Amen. Allow certain things to come into our life to help get us where he wants us to be in him. Amen. So, again, remember, Abraham uh, called God Jehovah Jireh, meaning the Lord, uh, Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will see to it. And when he put, he, when he put it forth his own sheep, he go before them, is what he said in, in John 10 and 4. This is the providence of God, a wonderful source of content. When I know God is provident. He, the, the, when I look at the, the, the powerful providence of God, I can chill out and be at ease. The second thing that, that, that the spiritual resource we get is, is, the, is the unfailing power of God. Look at 12 and 13 in Philippians 4, 12 and 13. The unfailing power of God, the power of God. The text says this, I know how to live on almost nothing or on everything. Can you get to that point? If you lost your home, lost your car, uh, lost your job, could you still have joy? Not that you're looking for that. I mean, I believe God is a protective provider. But if you happen to go through a dry season, can you still praise God? Can you still trust that God will provide? I have learned the secret of living in every situation, which is whether it's with a full stomach or empty or with plenty or little. Look at the next verse, verse 13. For I can do everything. Through Christ who gives me strength. That's what that verse in context means. I can get by on little, I can get by on much. Because some people take this out of context and say, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, you 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 four foot two, 300 pounds, I can dunk a basketball like Michael Jones because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, probably not. <laughs> See, that's not what that means. It means that whatever state you find yourself in, you can chill out 
because Christ is with you. Can I get a witness? The, the, the fact of the matter is that I can't, I can't, I can't run a four five, a, a four four forty, uh, like uh, maybe Ezekiel Elliott can, or, or I can't run a four two five forty like the fastest man in the world can, like Usain Bolt can. And I can't use this scripture to try to justify that. Yeah, I can do this. Some things we take out of context, and we've taken this scripture out of context. Paul is saying, I can do all things or everything through Christ who gives me strength. And he, what he's saying is, whatever I'm going through, whatever situation arises, hey man, I can get through it because I got Christ with me. I can chill out because I know God's got my back. Can I get a witness? So the power of God, Paul is quick to let his friends know that he's not complaining. His happiness does not depend on circumstances or things. His joy comes from something deeper, something apart from either poverty or prosperity. Some folks are happy and they get along good as long as they got enough money. And you ought to want to have enough money. And God wants us to prosper. He wants us to have more than enough so we can be a blessing to others. But what if things become tight? Do you stop trusting God? What if things get tight? Do you stop having joy? Paul says it doesn't matter whether I'm... I'm, 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 I'm eating pork and beans and rice or steak and caviar. I've learned how to be content. Can I get a witness? So, so, so the, the, the unfailing power of God helps us to chill out. And then lastly, the unchanging promise of God helps us to chill out. Let's look at verse 14, the promise of God, the unchanging promise of God. Paul thanks the church of Philippi for their generous gift. He compares their giving to some, some familiar things that they're, that they're familiar with. Look, look at what the text says here. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. Watch what it says. They, they, they start supporting him in his work of ministry. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Watch what it says here. Look at this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. Yeah. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. See, when pastors teach on giving, if they do it right, if they do it right, I've always said this, when it comes to giving, I want to teach you the blessing of giving because when you understand what God does through giving, you you will be foolish not to give. Amen? Don't give just out of obligation, but give out of appreciation for what the Lord has done in your life. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. That's what Paul says. Anytime I preach on giving, I want you to understand the concept of giving, and I want you to understand what God does through giving. I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. Your generosity and support work commission. And guys, EBC, I'm, I'm here to tell you, you guys have stepped up like champs. You have been such a blessing. And it's it, it, it just, it just exploded my heart because you guys, amen, you guys, are, y'all, y'all, y'all are off the chain. Y'all, y'all you guys, uh, in, in many ways, make it easier to pastor because y'all support the work of ministry here. Look at verse 18. Watch this. Watch this. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are sweet smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. Look at this next verse. Watch this. Watch this. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. He's going to supply all your needs. 
from his glory, which is not yours, but from his glory, which is which have been given to us in Christ. And so Paul closed this chapter out, letting us know that we've got to have that secure mind. And with that secure mind, guys, we are positioned, amen, for, and, and, and God has positioned us for, for, for greatness. He's positioned us for destiny. He, he, he's going to produce that joy on the inside of us that, that no man can take it away. No man can take it away because he, he didn't give it to us. It's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. Paul understood that. And as he wrote this letter to the, to the Philippians, he was telling them you can have joy. The theme of this letter, remember, was joy in spite of what's happening around you. Joy in spite of a global pandemic. Joy in spite of, uh, of, 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 of family trouble. Joy in spite of dysfunctionality in your family. Joy in spite of what's happening in the church. Learning to have that joy. Jesus gave his life for you and I so that we amen, could have a personal relationship with the God who created the heavens and earth. My question to you today is, can you chill out right now? Are you chilling or are you worrying? Are you chilling or are you operating in fear? Are you chilling or are you in a state of depression? God wants you to chill out. In whatever state you're in, learn to be content.